hello, welcome back to the What's Fashion Technology podcast. If you're new to this podcast, this is your number one source of inspiration to learn about all the new innovations that are affecting fashion with technology, as well as how to navigate these new technologies in our world today in the most positive way. And this week's episode is particularly relevant to this because we're talking all about artificial intelligence or AI, how it can potentially be used in the future if it's not regulated, the ways we can be intentional with our use of AI for design, and finally how this week's guest, Oliver Hatton has embraced AI in his own design work. So Oliver studied industrial design and technology and has now had a nine year long design career where he says he's designed everything from sex toys to spaceships. And now Oliver has embraced AI into his own workflow and claims it's allowed him to be a hundred years ahead of his own design work with the use of this technology. He also says that AI has allowed him to create new ideas and concepts that he would not have been able to think about without this tool. But more than anything, this is a food for thought conversation where Oliver explains some of the negative routes we could go down with this tool if it's not regulated. You'll see that Oliver says that it's more a question of managing the abundance of the output that AI offers and how we have to be intentional with our use of this technology in order to extract the positive benefit. The main takeaway that I took from this conversation is that AI can be used to democratize design, eliminate administrative work and simply be used as a workhorse to bring ideas to life faster. However, I think it will still take intentional use of AI to ensure that we all don't have to lose our jobs and become prompt engineers or lose the ability to actually think creatively for ourselves. So I really hope you enjoy this episode. Both Oliver and I agreed that there's so many different topics we could talk about with AI. But for right now, I really hope you enjoyed this episode and I can't wait to hear what you think. So enjoy. Yeah, wow. I have so many questions because <laughs> that was a lot. But then it's like what you were saying before, this whole topic, you can go down so many different avenues with it. But I really want to ask you because you mentioned about you like to use it and keep your creative process. But then you also mentioned that you can use AI to do a hundred years of work. And obviously in a lot of ways, yes, that's a good thing. But I also think there are dangers with that, with creativity. So first of all, what do you think are some of the negative things that could come out of using this technology for creative work? Yeah, like I, I think you can, what's the, the words, there's a nice expression for it. It's like uh, you can um, be an outcome of your past or you can be like an architect of the future. And it's like, okay, I'd rather be an architect of the future than to formulate what's about the past and what could go wrong and, and ne the negative side of it. So I think if you look forward, look ahead, where we're going is like, okay, on an abundance, like, you know, effectively we're going to be start operating in, in sheer abundance. And then it's more about, okay, how do we navigate abundance? Because that's a little bit the issue that I see. And I don't see that necessarily as a negative, but it's like, okay, when you have sheer abundance, as we kind of do in societal point of view as well, it's, you know, if we look in the Western world, right, everything is in abundance, you know, your food, your clothing, your like housing, er everything is in abundance. So for me, it's like, okay, how can you constrict that and create limitations or limited uh, versions of things if there's just so much output, you know, because fast fashion could go completely off the rails in that it's like okay what if i'm watching a catwalk right i have my phone snap 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 video 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 boom pop open mid journey on my phone upload 
I have a library of prompt work that I already like. Input that in with the imagery and the input. Boom, a hundred times. Have a script just running in the background. Have that sent to my team on a Miro board who's sitting in the office. They're just taking all the information. Now we've got like, I don't know, let's say a thousand different images of designs based upon what the new catwalk shows to be taken to the normal market. Then those guys are using uh, uh, like a co-pilot to synthesize and, you know, pick the images that they like, you know, to speed up that process. And then suddenly within maybe two hours of the actual catwalk starting, you have 50 ideas that you're like, okay, these are all, you know, potential market fits, like let's run with them, you know? And then you're already calling with the production factory and they know to now operate off AI generated imagery rather than just like the old tech packs, you know, a tech pack probably still needs to be created, but it's like, you know, again, if you're having images, can you reverse engineer it from that? Can you know, can you have an image of a jacket and then reverse engineer and say, make a tech pack from this. And then you can adjust the tech pack rather than starting from scratch. So these types of ways of working is kind of like, well, Okay, if that speed is there, <laughs> it has a dystopian world. Okay, is it then more interesting to say, let's then constrain and limit what's available to the public? Like, and that then creates the interest because if everyone then can start creating, you know, a fashion brand like this off, off the cusp, then you're just going to have a flood into the market. And then, well, how do people navigate and select? You know, everyone's telling the same message. And, you know, that communication is only going to get more exaggerated. So, okay, what, what is it that makes me emotionally connected or socially connected to your brand, right? And that those parts become more important. First of all, that's a really amazing way to look at this. But I also think that that option you just described, you can see how we're not even far away from that being a reality. And that seems very negative in my opinion. So how do you think that we can avoid this? You mentioned that obviously right now we're in this sandbox with AI and once it's opened up to the whole internet then we're in a bit more trouble because people will be able to do this can you explain a bit more how you think that we can avoid that future reality that you were just speaking about because I think everyone could agree that that is not good yeah I think it always comes back to you know it's a supply and demand thing so if there's a if there's a demand for the stuff that's being created at that speed not so much you can do about it because <laughs> like people, people still want to buy what they want to buy and people still want to eat what they want to eat and and so on and so on and so on right but of course people's preferences change and already you start to see with like customer bases that they're more sustainably conscious right you know you look at parallel industries right like the amount of people who drink oat milk rather than normal milk these days you know that's on an exponential boom um so for me it's like if if the if the demand is there, you cannot really, you know, constrain the supply because people are just gonna want to make money. I mean, ultimately it always comes back down to just, you know, ramp up profit margins and make as much money as possible. Um, you know, as much as we want to, you know, honey uh, uh coat or sugar coat. Sorry, that's the right word. God, I've been in the Netherlands too long. Uh <laughs> sugar coat. Um you know, the argument, you know, even, you know, someone like Patagonia or whatever, they still want to make profit to a certain level, right? And they can constrain that degree. Um, then product offering, that's where maybe brands see the opportunity and you start to see brands already like focus shifting onto quality, quality of production, quality of materials, maybe a limited run, 
um, more collaborations and so on, right? To, to create interest and emotion rather than just, okay, we have uh, 50 types of jackets, right? Yeah, okay, well, you know, a jacket's jacket, give me a story. And I think we kind of go back to that age old tale of people need a story to, to bond to. And I think that'll just get more important. I think it's going to be a sort of a chicken and an egg scenario. But I think, honestly, like, this sort of dystopian future I gave of that like catwalk environment. I think that's just going to happen. And then it's like, well, can people just keep up with the, the output? And I think it's just going to be not the case. So I think brands are going to be forced to be a little bit more strategic in how they use that, right? Not just flood the market with as much stuff as possible. Um, I think it's probably going to be a tool just to synthesize what is good and what is not. Um, and maybe there's more curation. So maybe again, doubling down on that quality aspect but you really then explored everything possible within a certain you know glasses or, or shoes or or uh, coffee machines or whatever it may be you really ventured in all angles rather than trying to just explore very fast and move to market very fast like you can have a little bit more of view first of all i like how you said that it's managing abundance because when you said that, it reminded me of where we're at kind of with the food industry right now. It's like, yeah, we have all these, every kind of snack you could want all packaged up, ready to go fast. Um, but that's actually caused us a lot of issues. And now it takes kind of a consciousness within someone's individual choices every day to avoid the negative harm of that. And I think even though in some ways, yes, we're there with fashion, I think AI could elevate that even more so it is how we deal with that and then I, I liked how you brought up um the emotional connection because I think that is the only thing that would save us in that reality in a way because I feel brands will have to focus on if someone has access to absolutely any product and any style of product and can, can create an exact replica of that product then the only way for a consumer to actually value what they're buying is to create that authentic connection. Yeah. And I'm wondering how you do that from a designer's point of view. Would it be less about the design? It's more about the branding, the storytelling, the community of the brand rather than the actual design itself in a way. Well, I think those are always a little bit closer together than maybe people like to think, especially when you start to move into the, the fashion scape, right? So, um, you know, a brand, especially in fashion, right? You know, most most brands have started to realize that we need to shift towards more of an aspiration rather than trying to sell practicality, right? I think they've they've got this pretty much on lock. Um, you know, people only buy buy from you for three reasons, right? Practical, emotional, or social. Fashion really sits inside of social and emotional. And I think fashion is a little bit harder because it's already sitting in that that realm. And I think they're doing it quite well. And that's what I bring into product design a lot is okay, how can I, how can I make someone want to be physically attached to this, but for a sort of longer period of time, right? And I think this is like an aid, like an old way of looking at uh, relationship to what you own. It's like, okay, I'd rather buy something that, that's high quality and can perceive as high quality and is a staple rather than, okay, uh, uh, Let's just, you know, generate as many jackets as possible. And then I own 50 jackets at home. Like, I think people kind of come back to simplicity, but then quality. And then for me, it's like, okay, how can you 
maybe create more variation in that, that aspirational level. So, okay, these kind of details or more real materials. Um, and I think that kind of, yeah, if we, you know, we need something to contrast that, that the hyper reality, you know, okay, everything is digitally graded. Okay. So everything that we do create needs to be then extremely real and feel like handcrafted or uh, have that feeling of quality and, and quality perception and also look it from afar. I think that's also a big part of it, right? It's like, okay, trying not to create imitation of quality, which is sort of what happened the last 20 or so years. You know, everyone's sort of, okay, well, how can we make this dashboard in a car look like fabric? It's like, well, yeah, that's a way to proceed, but it's also like, well, where and why should we then use actual fabric or metal or gold or silver or, or so on, right? Like, uh, I think consumer people still want to express themselves, but I think that 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 world of expression can be more constrained rather than being like, okay, I always need to keep updating and be fresh at all times. It's more like people maybe be more uh, attached to a specific style and look rather than regenerating it all the time. No, I love what you said about perceived quality because I agree that's been an issue with mass consumption and overproduction in a way, like making things seem, yet yeah, using cheaper materials to mass produce replicas of quality items and then also branding them as quality when they're not and them not actually standing the test of time because it also reminds me if you're buying luxury items it doesn't necessarily mean they're better quality as well. So I think, yeah, if we can go down the route of actual real quality, even if we are using this technology digitally generating the designs, then that is one avenue where it could be seen in a positive way as well. And something that I also wanted to mention is when I interviewed Andrew Wyatt, so he was saying that AI could be used, um, so like a luxury brand could use AI to create personal collections for their consumers with their branding on so for example louis vuitton or prada could you could have a whole ai generated collection specifically for you but from their brand as a designer what do you think about that as well yeah i think that's what um that that kind of emotion connection let's say to it gets like doubled down on right like okay then i really can connect to this item because it's personalized to my profile that's been created or augmented from inputs that i put into it so for me i like the idea it's just you know how much custom uh stuff <laughs> do we necessarily need and like what's what's the basis you know like okay are we then creating you know uh again, 50 different styles of bags, or is it one bag that then has like, a, let's say an overcoat of, of personalization. And for me, that's kind of like putting, well, it's, it's not as bad as this, but it's like kind of putting lipstick on a pig, right? It's like, <laughs> but in a good way, it's like, okay, well, you're just, you know, putting a little bit of sauce on top of what's already there. And it's like, well, does that really create like, uh, a stronger connection right it's like to, to dumb it down right it's like putting an emoji on your smartphone or your name on your smartphone like is it that level of customization or is it really like oh wow like the entire handle to bag shape is different within a collection but they all carry the same pattern i don't know again I'm just yeah no that's a really good way to look at it it's like for me i think 
what I also enjoy with the kind of quality aspect is that we've understood after the last like 20, 30 years of manufacturing, like, okay, we know how to make things cheap and we know how to make things very fast. So now it's like invert the model, like, okay, let's now try to make things that are higher quality, but we can use the knowledge of speed and how we can do cost reduction from a parts point of view or, uh, you know, bring parts across multiple, uh, multiple products in a portfolio, that kind of view and, and step forward so that brands can still, you know, operate as a business and not be running on razor thin, thin margins, uh, at the same time. Yeah. I think the way that you look at it is really good because again, yeah, we don't hyper-personalization or personalizing a copy and paste of a product isn't a good thing, but if you were creating a product that was specifically for that person, not only in their taste, but also in their like body type in a way of how they wanted to hold it, like their different kind of physical needs. That's like a whole other avenue that actually has genuine value and actual real personalization. So that's, that's a really interesting point that I've never actually heard. So yeah, it's very good food for thought. And I think just, yeah, always about, okay, how can you give the the best experience to the customer as well? So it's not necessarily that the the design itself maybe necessarily has to be so wildly different than one another, but it's also like the process up to that point. So it's like, okay, you know, already with the personal assistant or, you know, how can AI tools also be implemented there from a brand point of view, right? So that there's not necessarily needing someone to be physically, you know, responding and being your personal assistant, right? But they can have basically these co-pilots going out and talking to all, all of their customer base. And saying, okay, how do you navigate the the portfolio? And these products are suited for you. And you know, you then have the the option to, you know, as you start to see with higher uh, quality brands, right? And what your uh, what Andrew was mentioning, okay, now you really get to come and like sit in with the designers as a kind of you know metaphor to adjust this bag in a in a much bigger way. Um, and you know, AI in that terms can assist in that process, right? With the client, like, okay, this is something like this, right? And have more of a dialogue rather than choose your handle, choose your zipper, choose your like uh, co- like corner piece and choose the seat on the back. Okay, so mm-hmm. that's not design, right? That, that's that's the lipstick uh, analogy. Um, whereas like, okay, if you're then having to be like, okay, I want to have this bag and I want to take it to the beach because I surf and all these other things. And you start putting that as input and say, well, wow, now like suddenly the bag starts to change a lot, right? The materials change, the use case changes. Um, but then the brand designers can also then like look really at it and go, okay, how can we also bring this into the part collection? And I think people, you know, would rather spend money on, on this rather than the variety of different bags, let's say, because there's a more of a story and a powerful connection, right? Cause people will obviously see that it's unique and want to inquire or ask questions right it's also when you see it on the street someone has something off off the cuff like you're oh okay and then sometimes you go to them and they're like oh i made it myself or you know, and you're like oh wow okay and there's a story and a connection to that and i'd rather have that than okay you just see the same bag everywhere and you just say okay it's a nice bag but it doesn't yeah. like, inquire like uh, to people to be inquisitive like okay well what is it or where are those glasses from or you know something like this yeah, but then in a way it kind of goes back to like if it was that level of literally being custom made, then you can imagine that would be of a higher price point and then you would still have the fast fashion or fast products being generated by AI and then you'd have this other subcategory that was maybe more 
luxurious and takes longer to get and more expensive but these are all interesting avenues it could go down and again it goes back to what i was saying that there's so many different options we can go down with how we use ai and it will be interesting to see how it evolves but also want to keep it in the more positive light as well but i also want to know your personal story with ai so obviously you're a designer but what how what was your story leading up to becoming a designer and then how did you then learn about AI and how do you now use it in your creative process and workflow? Okay, let's uh, rewind the <laughs> rewind the history books. <laughs> no, so for me, uh, I've been a designer now nine nine years uh, of experience. So, you know, a little intro for myself. It's also that I've designed everything from sex toys to spaceships for, you know, for oh, wow. to startups. Um, so that variety really gave me a view of like, okay, the, the, the wits in the marketplace, right? That designing, you know, like a beer trimmer or a child seat, they have a lot in common because there's a process that you take to design those. And it's not so much about the product. And of course you need the specialist and you need the expertise within those markets to understand like, okay, you know, the blade of a beer trimmer needs to be engineered in a certain way. And there's a certain usability and you need to do consumer research and this engineers for that and research resources for that and then within child seats okay there's all these limitations and restrictions and legislations and it's okay once i started digesting all of that and looking again at okay it's about the process but then there's also all this this expertise that's needed underneath for me it's like ai like okay how can you uh synthesize all of this information as a starting point also like for me like, okay well you know, how, how can I do like a, um, a view of a market, uh, quickly, you know, okay. How can I just collect, let's say all of the brands that do X, Y, and Z, um, to get a better view of, okay, we want to design a, a better version or, you know, design a product that is not common in, in that market. So I started looking at it in that view, like really sort of almost using it as a scraper, <laughs> like, uh, AI is a scraping tool. Um, and then I shifted over to, well, if you're using it kind of as a scraping tool and getting all of this input and information, it's like, okay, well, can I start to see maybe opportunities within other marketplaces? Because I also have this, this history of working across different industries and different sectors, like, and seeing maybe opportunity where others don't, right? Okay. I think this brand should move into a space that is more outdoors or this brand should then do a pivot or have a parallel uh, product uh, or an upselling product. Okay. How does that look? You know, and for me, it's very easy to then make a sketch and, and visualize, right. But for a client, sometimes quite difficult or they don't have a buy-in. And sometimes you do projects where you kind of do a buy-in style uh, project, right. You know, you make a sort of a sprint to make something visual or like an MVP, right? And then that gives buy-in from stakeholders to then invest more money in and then they build up from there. And for me, it was like, okay, can you do that at a higher rate for like lead generation? So sort of going from scraping to then lead gen, like, okay, now uh, if I look at, um, I'm trying to not share confidential information, that's always a good start. <laughs> um, how can I take uh, this brand and put them in a new uh, ecosystem with a new product, but I can use an AI tool to visualize this, to use as a starting point with a client, 
rather than needing them to sell them on the process of getting to that point to then move forward. So almost you skip a step, right? Okay, look, wow, look, this is what we could be doing with the brand and shift it. You come with a good story. There's a business model attached to it. Give them the reasons of why with the powerful imagery. So, okay, well, now I can visualize and move with you faster than, okay, give us X, Y, and Z money and we'll create something for the future of your brand. Yeah, it's a little bit more of a hard sell, even when the brand also is coming to you and saying, let's, uh, you know, focus on what we do next, you know, or we want to target a specific customer base. Okay, yeah, but we can already start to visualize and synthesize in that at the start, like, uh, and and have imagery as input. Because a lot of the times you have a workshop as a kickoff always, that's the starting of a project. And basically what do you do? You create sketches, you talk and you chit chat and say, well, Sometimes a sketch doesn't get chosen because it's maybe not as good as the one next to it and so on and so forth. And it's like, well, if you're having an AI in the room to then also generate imagery and such and throw it on there, it's like, oh, wow, actually, yeah, that that could work. Or what if we were to change this and change that and do this? And I think it just requires then people in that space to be very much more open-minded uh, to that rather than like, oh, okay, I like that idea and let's run with it. Or I don't like that idea. Because that's also sometimes the argument that's in design. It's just, mm-hmm. okay, if I show a black and white sketch, right? It's not finished and things can change and clients feel comfortable with saying, can we change something? And as soon as you up the quality, it's like, oh, it's fixed. And I think when you're showing it in real time and you're working in that workshop environment, let's say, or setting, they know that it's not fixed. Like you're just doing it off the cuff. So. I think people's perception will also change there. That it's not that you need to purposely slow down the process, right? Which is basically what we, you know, we do. Oh, we make black and white sketches first, right? So we can have a discussion and then we move on to the next step, make it a little bit better, a little bit, le- bit, bit better and so on and so on. It's like, no, let's go straight in for the jugular and just, okay, create what it could be as a, as a world and work backwards from there. But it's like, how can you bring clients along that process to say, okay, there's still going to be a lot of work that needs to be done and not that this is it, right? It's like a, it's like a, this is it starting point and then work backwards from there. Um, yeah. No, I think, I think the way you've explained that's really amazing because you showed that it is just this visualization tool to showcase your ideas in a faster way. And it goes back to this idea of democratize, democratizing design, because yeah. if you're not able to visualize like put in put your thoughts put your idea into a visual that is premium enough to sell your idea to your client or your team whoever it is then obviously that puts you in a worse position than someone who is so at least ai is evening out the playing field for designers and then i think it's also cool how like you said it can be used in real time so you can imagine it being used in a workshop environment and then it just seems again like a natural evolution of tools because why wouldn't you use something that's gonna speed up your process and it seems like that creative process is still very much coming from within your mind and like your creative process but you're just using the tool to visualize but this is what I wanted to ask you I think to dive more into that conceptual creative aspect do you since you've started using AI do you feel that it's giving you more ideas. Do you think it's impacted your creative flow in any way or has it enhanced it? Like how, how do you feel about that? And do you always use it as well? That's yeah. three in one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
uh, always use it. Uh, no, I'd say probably now I have like a, I would say more, it is more often, so 60% let's say I'm, I'm using it yeah. within, within the, the workflow. And, you know, there's also things that you should do. I always think to also change behavior and habits. So for me, it's like, okay, if I open a new tab, the first tab that pops over is ChatGPT. Yeah, like you know, something like this, right? It's like a habitual thing. Like, okay, now I use that as my Google, right? Rather than opening on Google. Um, and then for me, it's then also with like mid journey and so on. It's like, okay, can you just give yourself, because it's so fast, give yourself a little daily challenge or view what you're doing and say, okay, let's, um, you know, spin up an idea or you have something on the top of your head because you see something and you're like, okay, let's just do a quick search. It gets saved in the library and I can keep it there. Um, so that's kind of how I look at it from a starting point. Okay. Use it 60% of the time, you know, change my uh, habits to then use it more often. And then I kind of broke it down into like, uh, a list, right? So we had the scraping, then it moved into like lead generation. And then it was like, okay, how can I really put this in my creative process? Um, I think designers, and that's my just general opinion really are sort of the, what they create as output is whatever they having as their input, right? So the more you look at and the more you train your eye and the more that you are looking at interesting things that are adjacent in your industry or you, how you view just daily life when you're walking on the street and you see buildings or architecture or shops and you're having this always input. And for me, when you're kind of creating a hundred years of stuff, it's like, okay, you're having this like burning into your brain, like as, as input, right? Oh, maybe the way that this fabric falls or this pattern of fabric or, uh, this puffier look or this detail and so on. Now you kind of have like your own giant Pinterest library of stealable stuff, <laughs> right? Like it you know, especially comes back to the whole, you know, great artist steel and so on. It's like, okay, well I have this detail, I have this, and I wouldn't have thought of that because that doesn't fit my style or my view or, um, Maybe it's just, again, something that hasn't been created before because it's sort of blending two things together that shouldn't be blended together. Um, you know, there is still some unique creation there, even though, of course, it's just taking basically from a giant selection of images and blending it all together based upon your keywords, right? It's not like true, like, uh, uh, uniqueness. It's always coming from somewhere in this, this world. Um, yeah. So for me, it's like, that's almost the next level to it. It's like, okay, now it's like training your eye, like training what you can perceive as, as details and objects and just create more variety there. And that's why I always say it's an abundance tool rather than let's say what some people think it does, which is sort of horse blinding, right? Cause it's like, oh, well then everyone's going to just be designing the same stuff because the AI is going to suggest the same things. It's like, well, no, cause actually, even if you just take the same prompt and put it in a hundred times you don't end up with anything remotely close. Like it's all like different and diverse and spread out. And then once you start blending and remixing and, and, and putting these things together, that that personal element's going to just then create even more separation. I, I don't think we're going to get into a scenario where everyone's horse blinded. Because um, even if you take the same inspiration images, I feel like it's going to push more wit there rather than necessarily humans maybe are more like, oh, I want exactly the thing that I saw, can we have it exactly like that? Well, no, this is going to create a little bit more separation. Well, uh, yeah. That's a really good point, but how do you think people can train their eye? 
to recognize the valuable outputs? I think there isn't necessarily a specific way to do it. I think it's just about volume of input. I think also a lot of designers and creatives see that, which is like, okay, well, why, why are you not necessarily happy with the work that you first create, right? It's because you don't necessarily have the experience, but then you have like this aspirational gap. So that gap between, oh, wow, I can see what other people create. That's so amazing and fantastic, but my skill set and my experience doesn't necessarily let me get there. So you kind of, and that gap looks very big. And then I think experience kind of closes that gap over time, right? So you see a lot more stuff and you have a lot more input. And that was always kind of like time, uh, time played a bigger role there, I think, than, than people thought initially, right? It's like, okay, well, what's my input? I think now just because the speed and the velocity that you can create, that time gap gets shrunken down. So if I am a creative and I'm using that, 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 process of okay generating a lot and 100 images and so on and so on you start to see i think also within that okay this is not a good route to go down or i like this route and this fits to the to the idea i have in mind and that kind of quality gap shrinks a lot right so you're already getting the quality that you kind of want which was that aspirational level and you're getting there a lot faster and then from that point it's like okay well you're already then being able to understand what is what is good Let's say, oh, not what's good and what's bad, but um, you're less having to sort of go through the the, the shit of it, <laughs> you know, which is okay. This idea is crap. This is idea is rubbish. This is not what I want. This is, and you sort of discard all of this, and now it's like quality gets pumped up way higher, way faster, and then it's like, okay, uh, I can curate from that level because my experience, you know, and everything's just about repetitions. You know, whatever you do in life, right? The more you do something, the better you come become at it. Um, and that kind of final bit is more concentrated, but I think this kind of gives, let's say a creative starting out in their career, like, oh, okay, I can create volume without procrastination, let's say out of this fear that is not good. And I, I made a joke to a friend the other day saying like, does like AI kill procrastination, right? Because it's like, it requires so little input, you know, like literally like one keyword can you know, already trigger it into a series of events or like, I, you know, it's like, I also use it a lot for emails or, or for responses as well. Like, uh, okay. I just copy what already has been sent to me, paste it in chat GPT. And I'm like, summarize, write a response. You know, I don't need to sit and really think, right. I can, I can offset a lot of this thinking. And then for me, it's curation and then reading the email and seeing what you need to reply to and fit to, but I can just extracts a lot of information i i want to interrupt you because i want to say i want to ask you said that we can use ai to not really think about things that is there a point where everything gets too efficient and we literally don't have to do anything because right at the start of this conversation you were saying that yeah in some world that every job turns into we're all just kind of ai prompt engineers engineers. and it and that's just life. And then in some ways in human evolution, in a sense, because I heard something the other day that we, we're losing the ability to make things with our hands and like that hand-brain coordination and these crafts that have been passed down for generations, we're actually losing. And if not, if then we get to the point where we don't even have to take the time to read our emails, like we're reading less and less kind of long form things anyway, how can we 
reap the benefits of this efficiency with this technology but also avoid kind of the negative effects of avoiding procrastination and if making things too efficient in a way do you have a do you have a thought on this uh good point um but that comes back to sort of uh again as as if you're a brand like taking a deep reflection of like okay what is it that i'm selling um rather than just okay let's just keep pumping out stuff and, and make our profit and we make our quarter uh meet and like that thing that's the first level is like the self-acknowledgement of what is it that you're really selling and then i think also starting the journey to say okay well if we're then going to focus on quality let's focus on limitation i think limitation like so you know limited items yeah okay we only make 200 of this jacket or a thousand of this jacket and so on creates an environment where people are like oh, okay well do i really like this jacket versus not right um and then it's like, okay, well, you've become part of more of a rich tapestry of a, of a journey of a brand, right? And you were there from like day one when they started this. And there's a little bit more, yeah, tracking of history rather than it just sort of all being a blur. Like, okay, when did you buy this? Or when did this piece come from? Or whatever. There's no no history or richness there. It's kind of just a thing, right? It's like a, a jacket or it's a bag and so on. And then for me, how do we avoid that kind of comic which is someone <laughs> getting an email, getting like a chat GPT to then respond to that email and that person then also putting it in chat GPT and getting an email. Yeah. It's kind of self loop. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm curious how that will progress because also if you start to look at automation, you know, already, you know, on LinkedIn or by Instagram and so on, right? We all get these sort of spam messages from manufacturers suppliers saying oh hey like can i you know do this for you or so on and they try to tailor it to your profile right they're already using like scrapers like magical or whatever to do this and then use then chat gbt to them you can create a whole automate automation right so that you don't even have to do it you set it up once and you just let it run right and i think people are pretty good at as i'm kind of saying now knowing what is spam lead gen you know versus uh like authenticness and it's like okay when do we get to that point where that because it you can train it on yourself right and your personality and i can say okay this is my characteristic traits this is how i respond to things etc how does that gap get shrunk down right because then we do get to a point yeah. where everyone's just feeling like they're getting legit messages and it's just an automated loop um you know there was a guy famous for this on reddit where like i think he uh, unfortunately like passed away while working at a company, but he'd already set up so much automation that like still three months afterwards, like people were still getting emails and like updates and like, oh, I will get this like uh, document towards you because, you know, he left, left oh, wow. much more like knowledge worker life. <laughs> and you just think, that is crazy. Do we get to this like uh, dystopianness of like, okay, we're just managing our automations and then we're all just, you know, busy being busy, you know, like uh, it kind of comes back to this and then it gives you some self-reflection of what is it that you're actually doing. And that's kind of the point I started with, like as a brand or as a company, like, what is it that I'm actually doing? Is it, I'm, am I just pushing paperwork around and selling product to make profit, you know, rather than like, okay, we really want to like push culture in this way, or we want to create like a really a relationship with our customers. 
Um, and I think this is all coming through in the wash now. Like people are realizing like, okay, like let's try and create more authenticity and more connection and strength. But I feel yeah. like we could kind of get lost in the source again with automation because it's like, okay, well, you know, let, this gives me a, a, a workbench or workhorses that can just, you know, keep pushing things out, pushing things out and, you know, reducing parts of a process or, you know, not needing to communicate with X, Y, and Z because we can just go straight to the source. Um, is it, is it a bad thing? Like, you know, um, uh, that this happens because I mean, again, paper still needs to be pushed. So for me, that's also how I look at it in, you know, how can I be more uniquely creative, right? And I can use all these tools to do that. And then I think all the parts of the job which require automization and sort of the pushing of paper, they can also fulfill that and actually do that at a higher velocity. So actually maybe I can do the other part even more, right? So if you do it in a lead gen way, and I've seen uh, videos and I've partly done it myself where it's like, okay, you take a Google sheet and then from that Google sheet, you can then take all of your like LinkedIn contacts and you can just scrape your entire database. You can have it auto update in relation to the LinkedIn. So if someone updates their position, et cetera, then that can push them to the top of a lead gen list. Then you can every you know week, you can see who's pushed to the top of the list. You can then send them a personalized message or you can even automate that right based upon the fact that when it happens seven days later, uh, one hour after sunrise, you can send them a personalized message based upon the comments that you added into that field. You know, you, you, <laughs> you know, it's like, but then it's like, okay, well, is that bad? Or is it just that I'm intentional about creating a system that enables me to do it in an automated way? Because there's a, there was a, someone I worked for in London and I've actually, a lot of CEOs I meet have similar stories, which is. They have a personalized database of contacts and they're like receptionist maybe listens in on their phone calls or their team's calls or they sit in meetings um, or they get a message from uh, from the, the boss and saying like, okay, uh, I had a meeting with this person. It went this way, this way, this way. We talked about this, that, and the other, right? And then you add it into your database. And then it's like from that database right now I have like, okay, for your example with you, the last time we spoke was about the podcast and we talked about this, that, and the other topic. Right, and I have all your information, I have all your links, etc., within within a sheet. Okay. Like the next time we then meet, right? Maybe we talked about the fact that you went to uh, uh see these friends or you were like moving back from the UK and so on, right? And maybe because you're doing this with so many different people, you don't know like necessarily where all the information lines up, like, oh, did she go back to that or did she do this or whatever? But you've got a record of it, and the next time we meet like your secretary or PA says, oh, hey, like you're going to be with Grace this afternoon. Like here's the last things you talked about, right? And then the next time we meet, I'm like, hey, we talked about this, that, and the other, right? And you're like, oh, wow, like you remembered, right? And then you feel good about it. You feel an emotional good part about it. It's like, well, am I wrong for doing that? You know, if you got to view this in the world of automation as well, or have I been intentful to say, well, I want to build better relationships with these people. I just can't do everything and remember all this information it's not that you forget this information it's just the clarity behind it but i still have the intention of wanting to create a better connection and emotion and it's like well you know then right. people are like oh well is that manipulation it's like well unfortunately the entire world is manipulating you in some way right when you're buying something you've been manipulated you know it's not a neck we, we've put that word in a, such a negative space 
it's like, well, it's not because like everything that you experience is some form of mild manipulation or extreme manipulation. It's just whether you are open to that or are aware of that in a certain sense as well. So like, uh, for me, I only see it as a positive, like it being a workbench to basically take all this administration, which I don't think people are really like, I think that's not what we're made for. Like for me, it's like putting stuff into all these documents and like making systems and processes. Like that's, that's not kind of what we want to do. We want to do what we're doing here, which is, you know, shooting the shit, talking about topics, building ideas, you know, moving that forward and everything else. If we can automate that in our schedules and paperwork behind it. And also like for you example, you with editing this podcast, right? There's the, there's already AIs out of there that will just chop all the ums and the R's and the breaks and the pauses already. Right. And then boom, you have V1, right? So then from V1, I can then make V2 with a more personalized approach. And then I can run it through one of these generators again chop everything down again, pump up the quality of audio based upon a template I already have, you know, is it then like, you know, is it then bad you did it that way? You know, it's like, I don't see it. I see it's like, okay, you're just being logical and using tools like in your advantage to do the thing that you want to do, which is personal relationships, personal connection, building brand and rapport with people and all the other parts. Like, well, if you're doing data capture and you're doing it in a sensible way and a you know, GDPR is going to come, uh, come and bite us all in the butt for probably a lot of these things. But like, uh, it gives you more time to focus on that rather than all the programmatic things, right? Like making sure everything's aligned and stakeholder aligned and you're sending stuff to manufacture, right? There's a lot of like questions or regards that can just be like, okay, I can just talk on a phone with the supplier. And then from that phone conversation, an action list can be already sent to my email and then I have an action list that gets put into my notion. And then from there, you know, I get, I get push notifications and your AI is running you, right? It's like, okay, clack, 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 clack. I know what to do that day. Um, and that kind of, it always comes back to, you know, to be a really good creative, it's not just, okay, sit in a, in a, in an open white room and I just get to create whatever I want. For me, it's like intentional, uh, planning gives you that time to then be more creative because you cannot just wipe everything out of your life and just say, okay, I get, I get rid of all my social parts, um, and all my administration and my accounting and once get rid of it all. And I just create, like, for me, it's like, no, that's not going to work because most of the time it's like, then you have too much. It sounds ridiculous to say you have like too much time, <laughs> right? It's like, okay, it's actually, if I say I have like a six hour block or a four hour block where it's completely focused on creation that's better than saying oh i just push everything completely away and i just give my entire day or week to being creative i think that doesn't create structure it's like you don't have them the consistency and the planning uh to then give you you know momentum it's like sort of just you're faced with with a you know a white canvas and it's sort of like well create yeah like mm -hmm. it's not how you create for me it's like okay then you need sort of small actions and, and inputs to then create momentum which then pushes you forward and then you need to block time that enables you to do the other things and again if you can reduce down all that administration and that like lead gen um and also like just okay i can create as i was sort of saying before which is i'm testing right okay i can create a, a jacket and a style and a, and a mood that i want okay how quickly can i go from that image 
that I can then Photoshop and manipulate, right, as part of my process as well. Then not just directly take the image, but, you know, Photoshop and manipulate and maybe make another image or another angle and so on and play with it. And then send that to a supplier. Like, how can I reduce the steps basically between that, really having a visual and then a final product and work in much more an iterative way rather than, okay, I create all these tech packs or whatever, send it to them. Then they ask for more specification and so on. It's like, actually maybe lean on people's expertise a little bit more little bit more like it maybe fashion lends itself in that way a little bit better okay like i have this and i'm doing it now like this okay i have this jacket send it he's like oh, okay i already understand this types of materials this types of proportions this type of things right because he can lean on his expertise and then they can create v1 and then we have v1 a jacket right and it's like okay well from that we can then start to like move in a direction rather than spending a lot of time and resources on trying to make the, the jacket the way we want to it first. Okay, we can have a prototype. Let's move on from there. And then maybe because we're working in a more physical way, uh, coming back to what you said about quality and attention to detail and so on, it's like, actually you can be more specific. Like, oh, okay, like, no, this doesn't, this doesn't exactly function in the way that I want, or I want to actually have a zipper that works like this, or maybe the way that you put the bag on should be different. And it kind of, is a bit of stealing from what I do within the industrial product design world, which is, okay, when you're creating ideas, you make a black and white sketch or whatever, something very simple. And from there, you go into the workshop and you just Frankenstein things together. And you're like, okay, does this sit and work and slide and clip the way I want to? And you create more novelty and like innovation there rather than, okay, let's try and make this design as, as best it can be online and then get all of this buy-in and the stakeholder management and all and say, well, actually, why don't you just use those funds to just generate a lot of things very quickly? Okay, manipulate imagery, you have the quality very high and then go and do manufacturing. And for me, it's like the shift to manufacturing will be more important than necessarily the design part. Like, which That's some amazing. might not like. <laughs> but... Like if I've been, it's like, cause how many people do you really need to do like a thing like Saks and like these other billionaires, this podcast, like from all in, like we're saying it, which was like, okay, if like the knowledge work workforce, uh, gets 30% more efficient by these using these tools, which is kind of what is being pushed around as a number in the next two to five years. Yeah. It's like, you can look at it in a positive way. You can also look at the negative, right? The positive way is like, right, everyone gets like 30% more efficient, right? So then technically you could be paid 30% more for the, the work that you're doing, you know, again, prosperity and everyone gets richer and everyone's happy and so on. And then you have the other view, which is maybe a little bit more realistic and unfortunate, which is, okay, if you're then being 30% more efficient, like is the, the demand in the market to accept that? It's like, if there's not, then you're going to reduce workforce by 30%. Because there isn't the demand, to, you know, companies don't need it. Everyone's thirty percent more efficient. Like, well, we're now, we're now like too, we're too abundant. Like, we're creating too much. We don't need this many people. Like, we like there isn't a demand in the market to do it. And it's like, okay, people always say, yeah, there's there's that unlimited demand in the market theoretically. But it's also like, yeah, that's true and not. You know, there's also a point in which, you know, how hard can you push? like uh, your your product and your branding and your messaging and so on to a point of saturation as well. Then people get also repelled by the fact like, okay, it looks like they're just really trying, <laughs> right? Try and get Miami to buy, right? Slashing prices and everything. So 
for me, it's kind of like a mixture of the two. One part, okay, if everyone's getting that much more efficient and, and focusing on, on output and creation at 30%, probably, you know, yes, we get to create more, but is the demand really there? Uh, again, there's going to be maybe a part of that, but I think maybe what's more real and unfortunate, which is, well, are then just uh, the workforce going to have to shrink, you know, like in certain categories, because there just isn't enough for uh, people to focus on, like uh, within uh, fashion, you know, how many fashion designers do you really need, like inside of a company, you know, it's like yeah. a, uh, you know, the same within like any kind of agency as well. It's like, okay, yeah, you can have theoretically unlimited clients, but also the same token, why is it then not every agency is uh, 10,000 people designing for every brand in the world? Yeah, because there is a limit like to, to who you can service and who you can put your offering to. And it's like, well, you can't just have an endless amount of people doing something. So, uh, uh, wow. <laughs> I mean, everything you said, I almost have nothing to add. I feel like everything you said, I was just kind of blowing my mind. But two things that did stand out to me was this idea of intention and also the duality of it. It's like, as long as these things can be looked at in two ways, good and bad, but really it is, it, what it comes down to is your intention with how you use AI or how you do anything. There are good and bad sides to both. And yeah, I think that is the way that you put all of that was perfect. And yeah, I think it it's just a case of seeing how it all goes. So I think my final question for you is, where do you hope the future of AI and design is going. Yeah, for me, I just hope uh, it provides uh, an expansion of view. Like, I think we all get very tunnel visions in in our inputs. Yeah, and and what we allow as an input as well. And I think, for at least what I hope is that it creates more openness in people to see more and understand more and different sides of the equation. Um, and so like that, that's a little bit how I see it as a benefactory to just the society in general and how people are working within their jobs and so on. It's like, okay, um, you know, maybe it gives arguments to two sides of things, you know, or, uh, someone I think, someone I know he uses it to, uh, which I think is kind of clever as well. He makes an argument and he asks it to make the opposite argument. Right. So then he can use that to then reinforce his argument that he has. <laughs> Quote, it's kind of like, but then he's at least seeing what, what an argument and a testament can be to his story and what he wants to pitch to the client. And that's really cool. You know, how can these tools already maybe um, give that viewership that it's not just like, okay, I answer simply what it is that you're asking. Like, I try to, you know, give a different view to it or, you know, I kind of always think about like mid journeys, like chaos function, which is like, okay, how like random or scattered things are, you know, maybe there should be a little bit more of that or like duality and answers rather than making things seem like this is it, you know, like also if you ask like ChatGPT or mid journey or whatever with a prompt, it gives an answer and then people sort of like accept it now. Like, oh, like this is it. This is the answer, right? It's like, and it's not, not the case, right? So it's like, how can you create this uh, doubts, maybe the wrong word, but when you're getting this output, that it, it gives you the feeling 
that there is more to uncover, right? If you're using it as a co-pilot, right? Like, okay, um, you know, if you're asking it to write you a, a nutrition plan or whatever, again, just mm -hmm. using a parallel field that's being explored now, okay, it gives you one, right? But that is not the singularity, right? That, that, that's one truth. And for me, it's like, okay, well, how can these tools then make it obvious that this is just one truth of many available truths? Because we're sitting like on the knife edge of which is, okay, it can create this openness and view and expansion to how people create and view things or topics or designs and create way more variety, right? So we don't get the samey, samey feeling that we're kind of getting in lots of industries now because everyone's sort of reaching this sort of pinnacle point of like, well, we're all looking at the same thing. So how can it help that versus doubling down on, okay, everything gets samey, samey and reinforcing opinion, right? And having the singular truth, like, okay, well, this is what, you're, this is, this is like the, this is God, right? It's kind of what you said at the very beginning, right? You listen to the podcast of uh, uh, Stephen Barnett and you're like, yeah, it, I make it always an extreme. It's like, but you're like, basically, oh, he's a God, like whatever he says, he's, he's correct. He's so successful, right? It's friends about like a Cooperman lab as well. Right, because he's a Stanford professor and he's got all of these accolades and he talks about health, you just sort of take whatever he says as that's it. The truth, like, yeah. That, that's the truth. That's the Bible, right? Like, if I want to feel better, this is what I should use my caffeine intake, stare at the sky, do cold dips, X, X, Y, and Z. And it's like, but then you kind of don't do the research, right? Like, it's yeah. almost like you just take this input and you're like, well, that's it. I'm going to live my life like this. It's like, well, most of the time, these things aren't harmful, right? Like, uh, because actually, if you start to see the commonality between different, like, podcasts or different medium, right, they're all kind of saying the same thing, which is, you know, get more discipline, be more consistent, you know, focus on your health, you know, you should be a fit individual, you know, have more of our varied diet. You know, it's, it's all adages of the same thing, and then people are more specific in certain situations. It sounds almost a bit crude, but it's like, okay, if you're getting an output of you know how i should build my sleep plan or whatever from or even design plan or manufacturing guide or whatever it could be can it not give source material or can it not give like variation on that or can there not be a button or a tool within the interface that's like making it very clear like okay you should generate another variety or like this is the opposite argument or something that enables people to move away from this singular truth and just sort of accepting it. Because I see that with people who are, let's say, not so creative or not within the creative industry. Maybe that's a better way to say it. Mm -hmm. Like using these tools and just saying, this is this is it. Like that's, that's the answer. If I ask it this question and it gives me an answer, that's it. Right? Like mm -hmm. they don't push, push the tool because it's actually all it is is a tool that's giving you a answer. It's yeah. like... Yeah, it comes back to kind of training your eye, like training your mind to see it as not just one singular thing and the infinite options that it can offer and explore yeah, those. And I think that's what people start to realize over time, right, is that this is an infinite tool um, and it doesn't get tired. It doesn't need sleep. It doesn't need food and water, right? So you can just completely rinse it <laughs> like, and offload all what you're thinking in your in your brain it's just like okay how can you trigger people to do that rather than just prompt once doesn't work for me or that's rubbish next thing like no like you need to kind of keep pushing it and seeing where it can end up and then you have a much more wider view on what's available 
um, also as an answer or as a solution. Because um, otherwise, who controls who controls what that one truth is? You know, you already see this problem within. Um, you know, within Amazon, for example, you know, it's okay. If you want to look for batteries, they're like, okay, well, here's Amazon batteries, you know, or Amazon off-brand batteries, because we know that we can get the highest sales and we can reverse engineer what people like, and then we can push our things to the top. Okay. Yeah. But there is more variety than just that, you know, and it's kind of what people feared with voice, even though voice has kind of died off for the moment. You know, if you say, okay, I want to have. Uh, a jacket or whatever you need to specify you know the brand otherwise it's just gonna whoever wants to spend the most on advertisement is going to take the keywords right it's kind of and that will get even more extreme because you're not having an you're not even having a window interface to see the other options it's just this is the option and i can kind of see that within you know if people start to use it a little bit more like google right the echo chamber of like what is then good like okay what what uh, you know if you're asking a question it's like oh what massage therapy tools should i use and then it's like you should use the the, the trigger point massage gun uh you should use like a neurosen uh, tablets whatever you know who gets to control that that's the choice you know like are you just then paying the highest premium to then be have anything that's associated with pain neurofen and trigger point come up as the top options you know and then it's also within uh, design and manufacturers. Like, okay, well, if you're saying like, how should I uh, stitch or bond these two things together? You know, is the person who is owning the the IP behind a certain form of stitching or or, or, or bonding, mm-hmm. you know, that they can influence the market by, okay, well, we will push like our product forward as the best form of bonding things to you together within this world. And it's like, Okay, if you start doing this and combining that with the imagery, it's like imagery, I think, gives us a lot more isolation away from that world. But, you know, I think most people are going to be interfacing with like something like ChatGPT, also from a creative standpoint as well. Um, And that kind of putting people or putting certain companies on the path of success or railroading them, it's just going to be a capital allocating game. Who can can own the keywords? Um, and get a locket, and then it's sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy, like because no one's going to question it, right? If you say, "Well, what is what is the best way of doing this?" People say, "Okay, fine, that's it," you know, and then you kind of get synonymous with that, and then it kind of reinforces it rather than that there's many different players out there that could help you. Or yeah, I mean, your insight on this is amazing. It's like so mind blowing to me, and I'm like so grateful that I got to speak to you about it. It, it also goes back to um. Like you were saying how it's funny because you were saying it's kind of AI is allowing us not to think. But when you take it a step further, it'll actually make us think more because you have to be more discerning in what you're getting. Or hopefully people will think in that way. Being more, yeah, it will give you the option to be a bit more decisive and have a creative director view of, of your life and your work. But then it's sort of, are you at that then point understanding that there are more options? And it's not just, this is it, and I kind of accept it. So I kind of use everything as that kind of creative process of iteration, blending, you know, getting a hundred different answers. And from those hundred different answers, you can get it to synthesize you an answer. And then from there, you can have your opinion. It's like, just how does that dashboard and interface look? That's kind of, rather than just a type something, get an answer and accept it. That's for me where I can see another progressional step. Um, Otherwise, explore the, explore the infinite. 
explore the <laughs> exactly yeah i mean it's a nice way to say it like uh and i think that's just what people need to focus on amazing amazing well thank you so much i feel like that's the perfect way to end it i think it's been such a cool conversation i think everything you've said has been so valuable it's so cool to hear how you're using it for your own work but how you also think that it can be used for different avenues as well so thank you so much for sharing your insights <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.